It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. I think everyone should listen to this message just because of the name, Operation Pluto. Isn't that a great name? Unfortunately, I can't take any credit for it. It was someone in the British government back during World War II that came up with it. Hey, this is Eric. And even though this message will have Pluto, Bambi, and Dumbo in it, it's not in any way a plug for old Disney movies. Rather, this is a powerful enunciation for the indwelling life of Christ via the Holy Spirit. And who would have guessed that the parallel would be found in a message called Operation Pluto? By the way, before we launch into this message, I wanted to let you all know that we still have room in our late fall week-long intensive training here on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, November 7th through 13th. It's a super powerful time, and I would love to spend it with you. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more. And now, Operation Pluto. We are uh, on a Monday morning, uh, episode 71 in a series. Uh, When you get to episode 71 in a series, it's either a very... uh, Strange series you're going through, uh, you know, word by word through the Psalms. <laughs> I mean, it takes a, a pretty special uh, series to uh, be captured in 71 sessions, but uh, I, it's ironic. This one could have been a lot more. Uh, the way I started with this series on World War II was rather airy, and I was just going to, you know, maybe cover it in like 20 sessions, and I thought that was was good. And then as I started getting going, I was just loving it. And I, it sort of surprised me at the level in which I have enjoyed uh, this series. But it's combining you know, two things that I, I love, and that is the challenge and the rigors of war, which are very fascinating to my mind as a man, because they test me and they prove me, along with the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you combine those two things and you have uh, something very, very special happening inside of Eric Ludi. And so uh, this one, I've, I've been anticipating ever since I, I came across it. I almost just included it as a line because uh, Churchill, in his memoirs, references this uh, at the conclusion of D-Day. He's talking about the uh, the building out of Fort, uh, or I'm sorry, Port and Besson in France along the shorelines of Normandy. And so it's just sort of just this comment that he makes, and it's sort of like he's saying, "Hey, more about that later. That wasn't ready yet." And so that intrigued me because just the title, Pluto, uh, Operation Pluto. Uh, in a, now, you have to recognize there's a, there's a history with this word, and it's not just the dog Pluto. It's the planet Pluto that I have been very defensive for over the years. And anyone at Ellerslie that's been here the entire time knows that I, am, I really don't like the fact that they disqualified Pluto as a planet, whoever they is. Like, who? what kind of committee could get together and nullify a planet? You know, that just bothered me to know, because that was my favorite one. Outside of Earth, I am a big fan of Earth. Uh, but, you know, as far as the other options, Pluto is just about as cool as they get. And it was always the furthest away. And there's just a lot of uh, fun things with it. So there's an endearing uh, thing that's taken place inside of my heart for the, uh, probably the word Pluto, uh, right? And so I am somewhat defensive for it and ready to back it. And then to see what it represents in World War II, you know, you could just sort of see why God was giving me a sensitivity to this. Because this is about as cool of a thing as exists. Operation Pluto. <clears throat> Matthew Gaskill. He's just writing a history piece. Four years of the First World War and five years of the Second had taught all sides the absolute necessity of a large and continuous oil supply. 
All right, that, now that might not mean much to you, you know, as far as you don't have a very clear sense maybe in World War I how important oil was. Oil is being discovered and the purpose of oil. I mean, it was used to like light lamps uh, before World War I. And then in World War I, they're going to start inventing things to make the war function. You have this technological age which is emerging in and through World War I. War causes a hyperspeed to invention. And that's what's going to happen. So you're going to see things being invented, whether it's planes, uh, whether it's automobiles that are going to be able to take things from here to there faster than horses. Because they were, World War I started with horses. I mean, they're, they're, horses are going to be throughout World War I too. It's, it's not that they don't exist in World War II. It's just that as far as the primary mode of transportation is you stick a cart behind a horse and start hauling it. I mean, they had trains, right? But to get, what if you don't have railroad lines? I mean, how are you going to get it there? Horse. And it's a weird thought. And so what you're going to see is this invention. By the end of World War I, you have these things that are tanks uh, that are going to be invented. And it's just like, I mean, mystifying as the British invent these tanks uh, that are able to cross these trenches and break through barbed wire because that was the big problem in World War I was barbed wire. Isn't it funny that this funny, this simple little invention caused so much problem in World War I? Barbed wire. You can't just get through it. You can't just leap over it. Uh, you need to somehow snip it, but that's hard. If you're standing there with a scissors snipping it, someone's going to take you out. So how do you get through the barbed wire and open up a way for your men to get through? So the tank. The tank became a great, because you could hit the tank with all sorts of bullets. And poof, you're just going to mow down that barbed wire. It's like, that's pretty smart, right? And so you have all this invention that is coming out in World War I that's going to cascade into World War II. But one of the huge things of it was oil. World War I is going to uh, almost become centered around oil. No one's going to say that uh, in the history books necessarily, except for the people that are calling them out. It's like, hey, this was about oil. Well, it wasn't at first, but then it became that, where everyone's position is that we need that, that territory. If we lost that, that's where the oil is, and they, because they're recognizing the importance of oil. World War II is going to start out the same way. The Middle East is going to become a very, very significant uh, spot because you're going to need to preserve the oil reserves uh, for the British Empire. And so uh, I'm going to read this again because I have a quote on the next screen. It's very profound. Uh, four years of the First World War and five years of the Second had taught all sides the absolute necessity of a large and continuous oil supply. Click. Eric Ludy is quoted now. This is, a, this is a quote from this morning, okay? 49 years of spiritual war have taught me the absolute necessity of a large and continuous oil supply. I, I just said a truth there, guys. In other words, war brings something to the surface, and that is that you need to have a continuous and large amount of oil. And you're thinking, what in the world? Well, you have to use your spiritual symbology you know, as you go through this. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And you need a lot of that to be able to endure uh, front lines warfare. You do. And you're going to see that, you know, even the parable uh, or the story of the virgins, you know, you have the ten virgins and you, they all have lamps. They all have the capacity to receive it. But five of them are going to be full when the bridegroom comes and five of them are going to be empty. And that's it's very significant when it comes to war too. Because Everyone has the opportunity, the same amount of time before the engagement to be prepared for the engagement, but who's going to be prepared and who's going to have the oil in place? 
So the supply line. The, the term in war is supply line, a supply chain. And to study this, if you were just to break down, like World War I is going to create new dynamics that have never existed before. So World War I is going to be 1914 to 1918, just to give you some, uh, some framework contextually. And that's a long time ago. That's over 100 years ago. And they're going to be, it's like this first modern war uh, where you're going to have demands. Like battle used to be one day. You would go and you would fight and you know, maybe you would retreat and come back, have your tents, and then you'd go back the next day. But we're talking like very, very short engagements and they would change the course of history. World War I is going to go on for four years and it's the invention of what's called trench warfare. So, you know, it's like you entrench yourself, and there you, then you have this no man's land in between, barbed wire on both sides, and you, know, you stand up, you shoot your machine gun, and you don't want to ever stick your head out of your trench, otherwise you're a goner. And this is the in- invention of that, because it's like you can't get anywhere. It's a stalemate constantly. And so what would happen in the very beginning is there was, you know, breakthroughs. Whenever there's a breakthrough, well, if you've been in trench warfare for a long time, what are you going to do when you finally break through? You're just going to pursue that enemy until you catch him. But what if that's 100 miles? You know, you're going to find out that you don't have any food, that you don't have any more ammunition, that you don't have any medical care. Where's the medics? Hey, we need our medics. We got some uh, guys that are wounded here. You have to have a supply line that keeps up with it. So if you get ahead of your supply line, you're a goner. And this is what's going to happen in the very beginning of World War I, and Germany is going to expose this reality. They're going to have a brilliant move uh, on France, and it's going, it looks like it's going to win. And the World War I could have been over fairly quick. At least France could have fallen fairly quick. And if France had fallen, very likely that would have been the end of the war. And Germans would have just occupied France, and hey, we don't have really what we know as World War I. However, France isn't going to fall, and that's going to create the dynamics of World War I. France is going to continue because Germany is going to overextend itself, and all of its soldiers are going to start starving. They actually don't have supplies. They're winning, but now they're starting to lose. What a weird problem that is. The same is true for all of us. So supply line is very, very critical in war. It's typically known as logistics, something that most of us aren't that interested in. It's like, yeah, yeah, let someone else, let the accountant deal with the logistics. Uh, Let's deal with the fighting. And yet the fighter, without the logistics, if you don't have food, you're not going to be doing very well in your fighting. If you don't have medical care, you know, when your, you know, finger gets blown off, it's like, hey, it's just a finger. I still have my hand. Yeah, but you're going to need something there. Uh, And you're going to need something. Otherwise, that one missing finger is going to actually cause the whole body to be missing pretty soon. In other words, you have issues. And so these things all become important. I I gave a little short list, and this isn't some master list of what supply, I'm sure there's a lot more things. So the supply line, how do you supply the forces at the front? Fresh troops, Imagine if you're the guy on the front lines for months and months. That's why, you know, in World War I, that's actually what they did. It's like, well, you're just a front lines troop. That's just your job. It's like, okay. And you know that most of them went insane. <laughs> they couldn't handle it. So actually in World War, well, even in the second year, third year of World War I, they begin to rotate troops. It's like, what a brilliant notion that is. It's like, all right, you've been on the front line. Now you go to the back line for a season. You work your way up to the front line again, and then all the way back. I mean, some smart things begin to happen because you're learning. But fresh troops are critical in a supply line. 
more weapons. Could you imagine having a weapon that breaks? It's like, uh, but that's the only weapon you have, so now you're having to clonk people over the head with it because it doesn't work anymore? I mean, that's a, that's a bad situation. You need a constant supply of weaponry. Ammunition, yeah, you wouldn't want to run out of that. That's just as bad as having your gun not work in the first place. Food, very, very important. Medicine, medical care, and look at I made it big for you guys. Oil, uh, the British would call it petrol. They need petrol, and whoever has the petrol is actually going to win the war. Isn't that an interesting statement? If you have the petrol, you can continue. Your heavy machinery can actually continue to function where the other side begins to die off, and whoever has the heaviest machinery still working wins. And so the oil actually becomes critical in a war. It's just sort of a fascinating thing. I'm building up a case here. <clears throat> so June 6, 1944, D-Day. And then June 19, 1944, which I referenced a, it was a few sessions ago, where you're going to see Churchill reference that he, he's getting Port and Besson set up to be the recipient of the supply chain. In other words, all of this, this is going to be the main petrol center, this is gonna be the main supply line. They're creating what's called mulberries, which are mobile ports. They're actually in the ocean, and you can actually receive and unload everything onto these quote-unquote mulberries. And so, but for the oil, they have a very, very specific plan. In fact, it falls into the category of outlandish, hilarious. This is like top, top secret. No one can know about Operation Pluto. And so here we are all these years later, I'm telling you about it. Isn't that fun that, you know, as the years pass, you can understand all these hidden things. Uh, and so that, that's what's really fun for me about this. So this is the number one thing they recognize is they're going to break out in Europe, or that's the plan, right? They're going to break out in Europe and they're going to take Hitler who basically owns Europe right now. But to do that, you're going to have all sorts of streams of uh, soldiers headed in different directions, and what are they going to need? Supply. So you're going to need to have a system to bring over, I mean, to even say millions of tons is probably just fall, falling far short of what it actually is. I mean, this is such a massive thing. You're like feeding nations through a dock. And so this is just a massive uh, amount of uh, material that needs to be over there. But the number one thing they need is oil. So how are you going to get oil and a supply line of oil? So if you're an inventor, what are you going to come up with? Are you going to hatch the idea of Operation Pluto? I mean, this is one of the coolest things. I, I, and maybe all of you will just stare back at it and go, what's so cool about that? I... Maybe it's just me, but this is, this is pretty cool. So I have an initial picture. The these are pipelines that they're going to lay underneath the ocean, the English Channel. And uh, so you have uh, one that is going to go, I don't have my pointer on here, maybe I do, but at the very bottom, you see where it says France there? You go to the left and you have that bottom little uh, it's like a U-shaped part of uh, France. That bottom part is Normandy. So that's where they're going to attack, okay? So you see that they brought a pipeline over to Cher Cherbourg, and then they brought one over to Calais up at the top, which is the shortest distance between uh, Great Britain and France. And you know, some, of, some of that's not going to make any sense to you, what uh, Hayes cables and Hamel steel pipes are. Uh, they're going to invent a piping system that is flexible, uh, because they need to figure out how to lay this. How do you lay 
280 miles and 500 miles of pipeline. The reason it's, uh, it says 500 miles when that's only like 20 miles is because they're going to lay it multiple times over. They're going to have low, they're going to have multiple pipelines. Okay, so it's 500 miles of pipeline. How are they going to lay that in secret? How do you do this? How do you lay pipeline underneath the ocean in the 1940s? And so, I mean, this is, this is great stuff. So they're going to create this flexible, it's an invention. It's a pipe that is actually flexible, which of course we're used to. We've grown up with flexible pipe. Back then they didn't have it. They had steel piping. And so what do you do? How do you create this? And so they're going to create flexible piping, which is about, you know, two inches in diameter. Oh, and by the way, here's uh, Pluto. So what it typically, if you were to study it today, it's typically going to stand for pipelines under the ocean, which is really good. And then, the, but there's some people that are very particular about this. Like, that's not what it actually means, okay? So if you just happen to be one of those people, because I really like pipelines under the ocean. That makes a lot more sense to me than pipeline underwater transport of oil, okay? And it doesn't, it doesn't look as good either. It doesn't it make Pluto come out uh, as well as it does pipelines under the ocean. You see what I mean by that? And so I'm going to go with pipelines under the ocean because that just makes sense to me, okay? And since loads of historians call it that, I'm going to call it that, uh, there's a lot of, it's funny what people get upset about. That's one of the things that people get upset about. And uh, people get upset about this whole operation. Some people are like, it was a dismal failure. Some people love it and they brag about it. And so I'm one of those guys that would brag about it because I just think it's great, okay? But then there's other people, it was a waste, it didn't supply enough. You know, they have all their issues with it. Instead of saying, hey, but we had it. I mean, I, give us some credit here on the Allied side. This is pretty amazing. So what this is called is a conundrum. It's a Conan drum. And they, they nicknamed it the conundrum. And what it is, the reason, I, I was trying to figure out a way to, to show this simply. This one picture had three blocks to it, but that big drum would roll, and they would roll this, this two-inch piping around it. So it would go straight from the factory where it was manufactured, and then it would be rolled up. And so you could fit 90 miles of this stuff onto that drum. And then they would go through the water. You can see it being pulled by, I don't know if it's a tugboat or what, but it's being pulled. And then they're constantly pulling it off and un, un, this thing rolls. And so then it rolls out and they lay it down under the ocean. It's actually one of the coolest things. And so I saw this whole video from like 1945, 46. I don't know what it was where they were. Uh, I, I have no idea what, what the date was for it. So if you look it up, because they, they may not have had it out during the war saying, hey, look what we did. So, but that was pretty cool. And so there's a whole video on it that I wish I could have shown, but it said something like license this video. I was like, I don't know that I really want to have to license a video uh, just to show real quick. So uh, what we have, this is a cool one too, because what you see is you see Great Britain up to the top left and you see France uh, and uh, you see uh, Belgium and Holland up there uh, in the lighter green. And so these are the pipeline systems that Pluto are, is going to cover. So you're going to see the, the pipelines all throughout uh, Great Britain that are going to then cross the channel, and then they're going to be used to supply the movements of the troops. And so that's actually what they're laying. Now, obviously, they couldn't lay that stuff that's in uh, what Belgium and France before uh, D-Day, 
so that's their plan once they come over is to begin to lay this so that they can actually supply. So they'd see, they know their troops' movements and they want to follow their troops' movements uh, with the laying of the pipe. Oh, and by the way, the one on the left, which is 200 miles of pipe, which is because it's four lines of 70, 70 miles, uh, and then you have uh, 500 miles, that's 17 lines uh, of pipe up there. That one's called Dumbo to the north, and then to the uh, south, uh, west is Bambi. So they're really getting into the uh, Disney uh, theme here. Once they had Pluto, they were like, okay, let's build on that. <laughs> Second Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, the Lord, and, and, of our, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him by, who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So that's not a new scripture to us. That's a rehearsal of, of an idea. But what it is, it's supply line language. In other words, that we have been given a task here on this earth, but we have not been left without supply. We are not left to starve. We are not left to have our finger blown off and then have no medical care. We are not left without ammunition. We are not left without oil. We have a supply line that is guaranteed to us that as we step forward in battle, God will back us. He will get back us with, with the medic. He will back us with the medicine. He will back us with the food. He will back us with the ammunition and the, the fresh uh, uh, military instruments, weaponry, whatever it is, he will supply us with the fuel. Isn't that an amazing thought? No matter how far we go in this, if we stay in agreement with our commander and we move in stride with his commission, we will never be without supply. And that, by the way, in, in war, if you study that, it is nearly impossible to make that a perfect science because there's so many variables that hinder supply. Uh, when, the, when the Germans were trying to move into Russia in World War II to take Russia, which was a huge mistake for Hitler. I mean, that's actually going to be what most historians would say is the number one reason Hitler is going to fail in World War II is because of his greed. He is going to want to take down the Russians, the communists. He hates the communists. And so he, gets, he, he's, he has this whole plan, but when they get to the... Uh, the uh, what, what's it called? Boy, I can't even think of a train. Uh, the, the train system? The tracks? Boy, what is my problem with my language today? Uh, the, the train tracks are different in Soviet Russia. They run on a different system. So the uh, German trains would not function on them. So suddenly the supply line had a huge issue because they have no way of getting everything to these troops that are breaking through and were uh, I mean, tens of miles, hundreds of miles ahead. And so they're like laying track, trying to actually catch up because all they had were trains uh, to, to bring all this supply over. So the good thing is God doesn't run into the same problem. So God knows ahead of time, well, this is a different track system, so here's my supply for that. He's going to make provision ahead of time. It's provision. Every good general wishes they had God on their side because every good general needs provision. Vision. That's one thing that earthly generals just don't have. You see, they can only see what they see. They can guess at how things are going to happen, but they don't know the weather. They don't know the movements of the enemy. 
Our God is in perfect control. So therefore, as his soldiers, we know that we will never be without what is needed for life and for godliness. By the way, if you were to think about that word life, everything you need for life, that's a huge statement. Everything you need for life. Well, how about this one? Godliness. God behavior. Everything you need to supply you God behavior in every circumstance, no matter what it is. Okay, that is an incredible supply chain. Operation 66 Supply. Uh, you know, we called the other one Pluto, and this one I couldn't create a good enough name, and so, because it was coming out as Plick, and that wasn't creating any Disney character that I could remember. It was close to Flick, you know, which was in Bug's life, but it wasn't uh, good enough, and I didn't really want to represent God's massive plan with an ant. Uh, and so, uh, as a result, I'm just going to name it Operation 66 Supply. I, sh I could have called it Route 66. That could have been pretty cool too. But Operation 66 Supply, what we have is that God has made a pipeline. And I've even called it that. That's actually the term I've used for it, that when we believe in Christ, we are clothed in Christ. And part of that clothing is a connection with the throne room of grace. And it's like a pipeline. Now, I, I've had various thoughts of once you describe something as a pipeline, it sure does make it so that it's a little less mobile. Like they, they created flexible pipe in World War II, which is pretty cool. But let's imagine I have a flexible pipe on me and I turn like this and then I keep turning. Now I'm wrapped in this pipe. And so I, I've thought, how do you describe how this works? So I, I've thought about a swivel, you know, that you know, when you turn it swivels. And so that, that works. Uh, but uh, my, one of my best descriptions for how the pipeline works is Bluetooth. That actually makes the most sense, is that we have a Bluetooth connection with heaven. It's just better than Bluetooth. Uh, it's like heaven tooth. Uh, and, and it never is disconnected. It never has a problem with connection like our Wi-Fi, right? It is always completely solid. It's totally pressurized. So it has all of the good stuff of heaven, all of the grace of heaven, pressurized in there and there's a gate valve on it and so we need to actually agree with God to allow this supply to come into our life and it's the actions of faith it's obedience it's rejoicing it is actually just believing God in the darkest moments that actually opens up that gate valve to bring the supply in and so I've said that for years right that's just one of my key illustrations that I've used for describing how we function in this earth we have everything we need in Christ. We do. It's like a pipeline, right? So <clears throat> in World War II, they're going to create a pipeline system. And it's not going to be ready by D-Day, which is a huge disappointment to some, which is why the critics are going to come out. However, just after D-Day, they're going to get this thing uh, finalized and installed. And they're going to be supplying millions of gallons of petrol. I mean, millions. And so it's just going to be coursing under the ocean, which is pretty, pretty cool. What we have in Christ is so much greater than anything that any man could invent in World War II, even though I'm very, very impressed with it. And I'm very impressed with their motivation. The Allies are going to win the war. I'm not going to say it's because of Pluto. However, Pluto is going to play a part. It is going to be a part of God's great saving work in Europe. In our life, we're going to talk about operation, if we had our equivalent of Operation Pluto, this supply chain, this supply line that God has, has given to us, this is the way that we win. We have no hope as soldiers in this battle unless we have this supply. 
So this is not an optional dimension to Christianity, like a bonus, like, well, I'm a Christian that has the Holy Spirit, and, and someone over here is like, well, I'm a Christian that doesn't need the Holy Spirit. I would say, how could you even be a Christian without the Holy Spirit is where we start. But then to function as a Christian, to live out the Christian life, it's not a life that you live out. It's the life that Christ lives out through you. And so as a result, to actually live out, to have godliness, you need God. Without God, you will not produce godliness. Christianity is enunciated, it's summarized in the fact that you will know my disciples by fruit, by their love for one another. You will know them because they bear fruit. They will show something. They are connected to the pipeline. So what this is, I did a study, this is quite a few years ago, on in Christ in the New Testament. But I also studied in him and in whom. And it came to 66 things. Okay, so now that, that's pretty cool. Now this is, there's no repetition. So 66 uh, ones that, you know, because some of them will have multiple scriptural references for them. But just think about how many books there are in the Bible. 66. So I liked that. I, you know, whether or not, I'm sure you could find more, and, but I liked that. So I landed at that because it's symbolic in two different levels. God has given us a supply in his word. It's sufficient. And that's one of the terms throughout Christian history used to describe the word of God in text. The sufficiency of the text of scripture. In other words, we believe that what God needed to say to us to give us what we need to live our life with wisdom in this world has been supplied. That there isn't a missing book out there. You're like, oh no, what happened to that one book? That we have what we need and God says this is enough. That we don't need another hundred books. That we actually have sufficiency in that text to introduce us to the sufficiency in that man, to introduce us to the sufficiency in his work. And when we understand that, it unlocks the pipeline. And everything that God desires to give us, we can know about and understand how to apprehend with this book, this 66. And then so you get the 66, the 66 books, and what you're going to see is that they're going to point to a man and what that man does. And William Law is uh, a, a, an author that's a uh, Puritan author, and he's going to make a statement. I'm going to not get the quotation just perfect because I wasn't prepared to give it, but he's going to say that the great work uh, of the gospel is not just the forgiveness of sins at the cross, it's Pentecost, is that what Jesus Christ is doing is unlocking the means for us to access his life or his Holy Spirit, his indwelling life. That that is this great work of the gospel, is that what Jesus Christ is doing is so much bigger than just forgiveness of sins, which is where a lot of people land, which is great. I'm so happy that our sins are forgiven. However, why? What is God doing? He's giving us the opportunity to be clothed in him, to be brought into the throne room of grace so that that grace could now find a depository in us, that he could live within us and as a result change the world through us. So I'm gonna go through these 66 things, okay guys? We're gonna go through the 66 things that each of us have in Christ Jesus. So the students that are present have been through a message called Reckoning with Truth where we learn how to take to our account by faith that which God has supplied. And so in this message, I'd like you to do that. I would like you to 
Look at this amazing list of, that has been supplied to us. This extraordinary treasure, this pipeline that is open to us. And I want you to recognize that everything that you need for life and godliness has been made available to you in Jesus Christ. All right, number one, all our sin will be atoned for. That's Romans 5.11. Number two, his blood will prove a propitiation, a just and satisfying offering in our stead. That's Romans 3.25. Number three, we will be justified, Romans 5.9. Number four, we will be forgiven our every sin. It's Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, and Hebrews 9.7. Number five, <clears throat> our sins will be removed from us. It's Matthew 26.28, Romans 3.25, and Hebrews 9.22. Six, we will be cleansed and washed from all our sin. 1 John 1, 7, Revelation 1, 5, and Revelation 7, 14. Number seven, our consciences will be purged. That's Hebrews 9, 14. Number eight, we will have peace with God. That's Colossians 1, 20. Number nine, we will be reconciled unto Christ. That's Colossians 1, 20. Number 10, we will, he will be our righteousness. Romans 3, 22, 2, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and Philippians 3, 9. Number 11, we will be saved from the wrath to come, Romans 5, 9. Number 12, the devil will be destroyed and rendered impotent against us. That's Hebrews 2, 14. Number 13, we will overcome the devil, Revelation 12, 11. Number 14, we will be redeemed, eternally redeemed, our very beings purchased by God. Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1, 14, Hebrews 9, 12, Revelation 5, 9, Acts 20, 28. Number 15, we will receive life within eternal life, John 6, 53 and 54. Number 16, we will be brought back to life from the dead, Hebrews 13, 20. Number 17, we will be sanctified and made holy, Hebrews 10, 29 and Hebrews 13, 12. Number 18, we will be spiritually and physically healed, Isaiah 53, 5, 1 Peter 2, 24. Number 19, we will have boldness to enter into the holy of holies, the very presence of God, Hebrews 10, 19. And number 20, we will be enabled to make our daily, hourly, minute-by-minute home in Christ Jesus. That's John 6, 56. Those first 20 aren't in him or in Christ, in him and in whom. They are the, one, the scriptures dealing with the blood of Christ that clothes us. Number 21, we will bear much fruit, John 15, 5. Number 22, we will be made alive to God, Romans 6, 11, 1. And, oh, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 11, and then 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Number 23, there will be no more condemnation hanging over our lives, Romans 8, 1. Number 24, we will be made free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8, 2. Number 25, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, 38 through 39. Number 26, we will have access to the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption of God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Number 27, all the promises of God will be yes and amen to us, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Number 28, our spiritual lives will be established and anointed, 2 Corinthians 1.21. 29, we will, be, we will be led forth in triumph, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Number 30, he will diffuse through our lives the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Number 31, the veil that shrouds our spiritual sight will be taken away. 2 Corinthians 3.14. Number 32, we will become new creations. All things will become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Number 33, the complexities of life will be made simple. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Number 34, we will from henceforth live by the power of God. 2 Corinthians 13.4 and Ephesians 1.19-20. Number 35, we will have an astounding liberty to do now that which is right, Galatians 2, 4. 
Number 36, we will become sons of God, Galatians 3.26. Number 37, we will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. 38, we will be chosen to be holy and without blame, it's Ephesians 1.4. Number 39, we will obtain an inheritance, Ephesians 1.11. Number 40, we will be made to sit with him in heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. And number 41, we will be made to know the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, Ephesians 2.7. You see why Nathan likes Ephesians? Number 42, we will have works prepared beforehand for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. Number 43, we will be brought intimately near into his presence and we will have boldness and confidence in our approach into his throne, Ephesians 2.13, 3, and then 3.12. Number 44, we will become the very temple of the Lord, the very dwelling place of God, Ephesians 2, 21 through 21. Uh, how do you like that scripture? <laughs> Number 45, we the Gentiles will become fellow heirs and partakers of the promises, Ephesians 3, 6. Number 46, we will have power to rejoice, Philippians 3, 3. Number 47, we will have a prize set before us of the upward call of God. Number 48, we will have access into the fullness of God, Colossians 1, 19, and then 2, 9. 49, we will be clothed in his perfections, Colossians 1, 28. Number 50, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge will be made available to us, Colossians 2, 3. Number 51, we will abound in thanksgiving, Colossians 2, 7. Number 52, we will be made complete, Colossians 2, 10. Number 53, we will be circumcised from the sins of the flesh, Colossians 2, 11. Number 54, we will have the promise of life, 2 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Number 55, we will be given a holy calling, 2 Timothy 1.9. Isn't this amazing? This list just keeps going. Now what I want you to bask in as we, as we, what are we at, 56? I want you to bask in the fact that these are yours in Christ. What's your position? This is what is promised in Christ. This is the supply line. God has not left us orphans. Jesus says it is better for us that he goes to be with the Father so that he can set up the supply line, so that he can give us everything that we need for this life in this body. Number 56, we will be supplied an empowering grace, 2 Timothy 1.9 and 2 Timothy 2.1. 57, we will have faith and love, 2 Timothy 1.13. Number 58, we will have salvation, 2 Timothy 2.10. Number 59, there will be no more darkness, 1 John 1.5. Number 60, the love of God will be perfected in us, 1 John 2, 5. Number 61, we will not be ashamed before him at his coming, 1 John 2, 28. Number 62, we will purify ourselves just as he is pure, 1 John 3, 3. Number 63, we will not sin, 1 John 3, 6. Number 64, anything we ask according to his will, he will hear us. He will hears us. <laughs> he will hear us, 1 John 5, 14. Number 65, we will know him, 1 John 5, 20. And the final one, which I'm gonna make somewhat of a mystery because it's talking about a mystery, we will know his great mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. See, I'm just doing that on purpose because this six, number 66 is the capstone. It is the whole point of it all. It is everything that fills that pipeline. So I'll give it to you in a different way. The capstone, we will be given the Spirit. We will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We will be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 1 John 4.13, Galatians 3.14, Ephesians 1.13. In Christ, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And so all of those other things that I named in 1 through 65, 
The Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing that to us. So every single thing that God has for us is brought to us via the Holy Spirit. And so as a result, there's a pipeline full of oil, petrol, heavenly petrol. It's what we need for this war. And without it, we cannot win this battle. We cannot continue long in this battle. In our own strength, we will fail. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Or how about this? Disconnected from that pipeline, we can do nothing. And as a result, the pipeline becomes of extreme importance to us as believers. Operation Pluto in World War II is a brilliant maneuver to connect the troops with the oil. Something far more brilliant is what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done in and through the work of the cross, is they have created a pipeline system, a way, a way for us to access the Father so that the Father can give us all that we need for life and godliness. And he knows what we need. Jesus knows what we need. We need the life of God. We need the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. This is the scripture we read earlier, but we're going to uh, just reflect upon it afresh. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, by the way, I just went through 66 of them, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Uh, do you need me to read that again? Because that's like such an astounding statement. So by these promises, by this pipeline, by this supply, you may become a partaker of the divine, which means God, nature. God wants to share his very life, his nature with you. You know, we, we've heard things, you know, growing up in the church, you hear about a sin nature, sinful nature. Well, how about a divine nature? Does anyone ever talk about that? And we say, well, God has the divine nature. Well, he sure does, but he has supplied it to us. He loves. He is love. And guess what? He desires us to love as he loves. He's peace. Yeah, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to say Eric's peace. I'm going to say God is. However, he has supplied it to us via the Holy Spirit so that I can bear the fruit of peace. And this world can actually encounter Eric Ludi and see Jesus. How does that work? That's remarkable. That's a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So he has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Father, we admire Operation Pluto. But Lord, if we were going to worship, we choose to worship your operation. The operation of the cross, of the shed blood, the legal nullification of our sin, the crucifixion of our old man and our flesh, the crushing of the devil's head, 
Lord, you opened up a pipeline. And Lord, we desire to have all of it in us. We don't want to be like the virgins that had the lamp but without the oil. We desire to be the lamp that is full of the oil. We desire, Lord Jesus, to have all that you have supplied. We desire you, the fullness of you. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have given to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work and move inside of our lives as believers today. It's in the precious name that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.